Today's episode of the Shameless Picture Show is sponsored by Vinegar Syndrome. Check them out online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the most interesting DVD and Blu-ray labels around because of their extensive catalog of horror, cult, exploitation, and vintage sexploitation films. Unlike most companies, Vinegar Syndrome is also a restoration company with their own in-house lab, where they've done new restorations for companies such as Arrow, Massacre Video, and Draft House Films. Check out Vinegar Syndrome today and grab your copy of Dolomite, Sugar Cookies, Jack Frost, Psycho Cop Returns, Malibu High, or Nurse Sherry. While I'm a little more knowledgeable than my co-host, I can assure you that I love Vinegar Syndrome. Whenever I'm at a convention, their table is one of the first I hit, and much to my wife's chagrin, I spend way too much time going over every single title. I own more than just a few. So once again, head over to www.vinegarsyndrome.com and grab yourself something cool. Episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Vars, and with me, as always, is the only person around that knows the way to Shell Beach. Nick Richards. That was, that was my like. It's not my favorite one, but it's like it's the most like. It has a "Do you know the way to San yeah. Rafe?" kind of vibe to it. I was hoping you're going to keep that going. La la uh, la la. la. <laughs> well, anyways, on this episode of the show, we'll be talking about Alex. Proyas? I'm not figuring out how to pronounce his name yeah. yet. Proyas, visionary opus, Dark City. John Murdoch wakes up in a bathtub, is unsure how he got there. His memories are gone. He finds out that he's wanted for a series of murders. Unsure who he is, where he's at, or if he's even committed these murders, Murdoch goes on the hunt to find the truth, all the while being pursued by the police and his wife. While he tries to uncover the truth, Murdoch finds out things aren't as qu- aren't quite as they seem when he finds out that he's just the pawn in an evil scheme put forth by a group of intelligent beings that live underneath the city. Released in 1998 by New Line Cinema, Dark City was a box office failure, but garnered a strong cult following on home video for its striking visuals, philosophical context, and great direction. Dark City was written by Alex Proyas, Lem Dobbs, and David S. Goyer, was beautifully shot by... Darius Wolski. Wolski? Wolski. 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 Uh, Dark City is a, is a beautiful mesh of hard-boiled noir, science fiction, and expressionist fantasy. The film stars Rufus Sewell, Jennifer Connelly, everyone's crush from the 80s, and uh, Kiefer Sutherland, Richard O'Brien, and William Hurt. Much to do to take away all that makes 
It is time. Who are they? their secret. You saw something, didn't you? I don't think the sun even exists. And one of us. We are running out of time. No escape. Has the power to stop them. William hurt my feelings. <laughs> he should <laughs> apologize. A, there is a joke from the TV show Modern Family that cracks me up every time I hear it. Where uh, uh, I don't know if you've seen the show, but one of the characters, his name is Phil. He he wrote a book of uh, of inspirational quotes that he came up with, <laughs> and uh, it uh, well, my favorite one is dance until your feet hurt, sing until your lungs hurt, act until your William hurt. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so whenever I, I, I see that name, it's like, I have to quote that. But um, this one was on my shame list this week. It was. And I, it's, I, I, every time you've suggested, like, I feel, not every time, but I feel like a good amount of the times that you've suggested things I should see, it's usually uh, met with, how have I not seen it? <laughs> I, f- like, I feel like throughout the near... Uh, the year that we've been doing the show now, um, I've gotten a pretty good feel for what uh, tickles your fancy. The only one that I wouldn't say was a miss, but didn't have the same reaction was the Phantom Toll Booth. But however, you will win in the end because I think about that movie quite a bit. Nice. So. Well, and also I didn't suggest that because I thought it was up your alley necessarily. That's fair. It's it's that was all you. That was that was me sharing me. Nick on Nick, the many faces of Nick. <laughs> uh, but no, I I really like this, and like I, I wasn't a movie I was actively avoiding, but like whenever I would see the cover, because the cover, uh, at least in the one I bought from Walmart, is not that interesting. And I honestly just thought it was going to be a big sci-fi epic that I wasn't going to enjoy. Excuse me. Um, I don't know. It just had this quality to like the cover and everything. That I thought it was going to be really dry and kind of boring. I don't know. There's a Christian Bale movie I, I, I kept getting it confused with. Uh, where it's kind of like this Christian Bale movie that was a ripoff of, of The Matrix. Huh. I'm trying to look up the title real quick because um, I always... Equilibrium. There, oh, okay. It's a Christian Bale movie yeah, I haven't seen it. Equilibrium. And I remember seeing that movie and not really being a fan of it. But the uh, the Photoshop cover was very similar to Dark City. And I thought, oh, it's <laughs> going to be another movie like that. And, uh, and I just kind of avoided it for that reason. But, uh, Funky I'm by association. Bummed. Yeah, but I'm kind of bummed out because I really liked New... Uh, not New City. New Jack Dark City. <laughs> Let's go by Dark Line Cinema. Yeah, I really like Dark City, and because uh, it wasn't at all what I was expecting. 
and there yeah. there are some weak points. It's far from a perfect film. Um, yeah, I do have my issues with it, but but overall, it I mean it's it's obviously visually compelling, um, and and they told a good story in there. It's um I don't know the it's the right level of weird for for me (laughs) no exactly and like my and you know i won't touch on this too heavily because we'll get back to it my my biggest issues with the the film come from the last like 20 minutes maybe half last half hour of the film but like everything leading up to that was great like those you know um the uh it wasn't the very opening shot but like you know the opening shots of uh john murdoch waking up in that tub were gorgeously shot and really intriguing and actually i um i just kept thinking man this movie is probably beautiful in black and white so i went back and rewatched some scenes of all the color turned off on my television yeah and it's just as stunning nice um something that i never connected um and i there's not going to be any eloquent way to say this have you seen saw (laughs) do you see saw (laughs) it's kind of like asking people if they've seen it right yeah seen what do you want some more some more what (laughs) how can i have more if i haven't had any yet uh yes i have seen saw and i also see saw um i haven't seen dark city since i (laughs) saw saw (laughs) Um, they should be ashamed of themselves for that title. <laughs> Boo. Um, but there are so many, uh, like, I I would, it would be very hard to convince me that they didn't use Dark City as a inspiration point as they were creating both the visuals for Saw and writing some of the sequences. No, I wouldn't be surprised either, like, um... That entire opening sequence with the bathtub is is not verbatim, but it's pretty close. The way and then like the colors they choose to focus on, yeah. like the green floor in in um in Dark City, and then the kind of greenish tint walls to saw, and uh, um, it I feel like this this element works way better in Dark City than it did in Saw. Yeah. But like the whole idea of like uh. When Saw just becomes a hard hard boiled noir for some reason, (laughs) (laughs) like all the stuff outside of the initial room, I could take or leave. But like, he's getting too old for this shit. It's the I I used to have a screenshot. Used to be this background for my phone of uh, I cannot think of that actor's name at the moment. Uh, Um, Glover. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, like him, uh, Danny Glover, him sitting there with after his neck's been cut, just and I made a meme out of it that says, "I'm getting too old for this shit." It's low hanging fruit, but it made me laugh. It, yeah, <laughs> I am not like, above the low hanging fruit. No, and I got a feel like I just imagine everyone was on the other side of the camera going, "Say it." <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I would say that line, but. I'm getting too old for that shit. <laughs> and everyone cheers. You know someone on that set had him say it. Yeah. It, it's like, I believe in my heart of hearts that someone, either directly or indirectly, made him say that. Like, even if they had to trick him. It's like, hey, you want to go hang out at the playground? I'm too old for that shit. <laughs> ah! 
<laughs> Got you, bitch. And then they, they made him fire that guy, whoever that guy was. <laughs> or they maybe sliced what, his throat. Maybe that's why James Wan didn't direct the sequel. <laughs> no one ever saw him again. Um, but they also, another shared visual element with those two films is the uh, the Red Spiral. That, yeah. that the puppet has on his cheeks and they used it in other parts of Saw, but uh, the carvings yeah. on the, the prostitutes... Yeah, I was actually um, the um, the features on the Dark City Blu-ray are exhaustive to say the least because <laughs> they've actually got like um, um, like philosophy professors talking oh, about geez. the film, and uh, it can be kind of a uh, kind of dull. Let's make this as dry as possible. <laughs> and they're talking about how everything is an allegory to everything else, and they explained the significance of that spiral. Oh. But I cannot remember it. Hold on, let me look it up. Because uh, the nice thing about recording this on a computer is I can look things up. Well, there was definitely multiple uh, references, both in the dialogue and the visuals, to the the rat in the maze and, and the never-ending labyrinth that uh this city kind of the the form that this city takes uh when you see um the the good doctor doing his experiments when the wife comes to talk to him he is actually running a rat through a maze and whenever you see the the people that have come to know the truth scrawling their madness on the walls which uh was a throwback for me to in the mouth of madness uh, Mm um Uh, you got a lot of those spirals and this kind of, you know, never-ending labyrinth element. Yeah, I can't find the exact name for what the spiral is called. She like, it's the blank and blank spiral. I'm like, <laughs> okay. But it's essentially supposed to, like, represent uh, um, the endless loop of, you know, back and forth of, you know, things constantly changing and the, uh, and the characters, you know, just kind of always going yeah. in circles, like... It makes sense. Not making any forward progression with their lives. However, I have to say, you know, well, well first off, if you have not watched Dark City yet, there's going to be, you know, we can't <laughs> we can't not do spoilers. But, like, it seems a little on the nose for these fucking strangers to, like, oh, we're going to make it seem like John Murdoch committed these murders. Let's just draw spirals on everyone yeah. and kind of, like, give a wink and a nod to what we're up to. Like, <laughs> no. It's kind of like you guys are all narcissists. Like that's something the Riddler would do. Like, right. He wants to be caught. Yep. Maybe they do, but you know, it seems counterproductive. Um, one of my tangents are what we do best here. Um, but of course. I, I just got <laughs> this memory in my head of one of the most elaborate tunings that they show, um, where they have the the poor couple. You know, at the yeah. breakfast table, and their faces flop into their cereal bowls at mid- at midnight. That cracked me up. And then the whole table stretches out, and they get their fancy clothes on, and then, oh goodness, Kitty, the yachts in need of repair, and Pedro one. It was it was so ridiculous. Like to me, like I could have seen that scene happen in an episode of The Fairly Odd Parents. <laughs> totally. Like it just reminded me of something as ridiculous as as as, as that. Like I uh, and I like I I th- I really appreciate the way that Alex Proyas 
gave us information and uh i I don't know if we said this on camera off camera i watched the theatrical cut you watched the director's cut so there might be some oh some differences but like i it it was just in very subtle ways that first you made you just go like what the fuck (laughs) because you know had these noir elements so like at the beginning the the john murdoch character you know he's weaving his hotel room in the the one guy's you know telling him he needs to pay the money and yada 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 and then when they cut back to that hotel later on it's a different actor saying all these lines and i'm like wait a second it it was a white guy before now it's a black guy but he's saying all the same things and i was like are these robots like i was trying to like figure it out and like he just he adds enough weirdness in at the beginning to kind of keep you going and then then, you know the guy that was originally running the motel you later see running mm-hmm. the newsstand and he asks asks him how long has he been working there he's like i've been, had this job for eight years or you know whatever the line is mm-hmm. and then there's like those moments where you're like is this a vampire film <laughs> <laughs> like there, he's just like the the um the way the information is given is really interesting yeah. and like I, I they mentioned on the features that I don't know how the director's cut begins, but the theatrical cut begins with Kiefer Sutherland narrating what's going on. With uh, he's talking about how they're aliens who came uh, to this planet and were you know tinkering with things, and I just thought this movie would have been better without that. And I'm wondering since the director's I, cut is Alex Proyas's vision, I'm curious if that's in the director's. I cut. don't believe it is. First, there was darkness. Then came the strangers. They were a race as old as time itself. They had mastered the ultimate technology, the ability to alter physical reality by will alone. They called this ability tuning. But they were dying. Their civilization was in decline. And so they abandoned their world, seeking a cure for their own mortality. Their endless journey brought them to a small blue world in the farthest corner of the galaxy. Our world. Here they thought they had finally found what they had been searching for. My name is Dr. Daniel Paul Schreiber. I am just a man. I help the strangers conduct their experiments. I have betrayed my own kind. Well, because like it was really because like it, was, it happened right before you met John Murdoch, where it's like a, a close-up of Keith or Sutherland narrating the film. Yeah, like what's happening? Yeah, I'm pretty confident that that is not in the director's cut. I think it just opens on John Murdoch in the bathroom. Difference number one. Yes. I was wondering, like, that was the first thing I thought. It was like, this just feels like a producer's note. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, oh, no one's going to know. Because, you know, Alex Proyas has said in the the features that he likes confusion. He likes people not knowing exactly what's going on. And then you have this very on-the-nose narration. Yeah. It's like, that feels like a producer's note yeah. to me. That's one of the feedbacks that frustrates me the most on my work is uh you this part was unclear or that part was confusing it's like well read it again or watch it again <laughs> yeah you don't need to try get and, it all the first try time. and figure it out i'm not gonna spoon feed it to you 
Exactly, and especially just because the way that they uh, that this film was written, and I I happen to really like films like this where we are save for a couple scenes pretty much every scene has john murdoch in it we are we are john murdoch and we're getting information yeah the way he is like yeah every a couple times they'll cut to you know the other uh you know the strangers below the world and everything but for the most part we learn as <laughs> as john murdoch does and i've always liked films where the yeah. lead character is like I, I wrote in my notes he's a spectator to a changing world yeah and as he's given information we're given information so when there's times that information is given to us that he doesn't have it just feels kind of off to me yeah. the the amnesia trope <laughs> mm-hmm and then I, I wasn't surprised at all as when I was doing some reading about the film to find out that Christopher Nolan is a big fan of this movie. Oh, interesting. And uh, he said he took uh, some influence from it when he made Memento. Memento. And then uh, I think he might. I think he's had some visual elements when he did The Prestige. Okay. And you know some um, just a lot of influence from it when he did Inception. Which uh, Memento is by far it for my money the best amnesia film ever i agree ever that so clever and the way that it doles it out like in little like five minute chunks moving backwards in time oh it was brilliant like when uh i first saw it my friend of mine's like oh it's a movie that plays in reverse i'm thinking like Like like, that library scene in spy hard yeah like i just love that like you know there's a scene where he's like you know, like the scene begins and he's in a, a shower with his clothes on and he's holding a beer, a wine bottle and he's like, I don't feel drunk. <laughs> and the whole the whole big thing happens and and then it cut in the next scene shows how he got to that situation. Yeah. And I just thought it was it was uh, it was really brilliantly made. Even though we're not talking about Christopher Nolan, I also need to mention that um, uh, like after I heard that Christopher Nolan was a huge fan of it, I could not help but think like Batman Begins, how much the city looked like Dark City because that that right. entire mo- most of that movie was shot in the set, unlike the other two. Um, and I was like, the the style of that film reminds me so much of Dark City. Yeah, totally. <sighs> so where do we go from here, Nick? I think like, that's I feel, good. I, we talked for like ten minutes. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> I feel like I, it's worth mentioning for everyone listening as we watched this movie like three weeks ago, two three weeks, weeks ago. ago uh, you know, things interfered and we had to uh, come back to it. So we're just kind of, um, you know, going backwards yeah. like Memento oh. and trying to figure this out. Uh, um, uh, here you go. How great were the strangers names and um also the variety because they use the the dead humans as their their rides basically that there <laughs> there's these symbiotes living inside of corpses like you have that little baby kid one yeah that, that one uh, just disturbed the hell out of me and then wait you, they 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 use they 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 using dead humans as vehicles. Yeah. I don't think I caught that. Maybe it, that's another. Maybe that's another director's it, cut edition. It's they don't go into great depth about it. It's one or two lines that if you're not paying attention, you can easily miss. Um, mm. 
but yeah, there. Did you see there? There were, I believe, two instances where somehow one of them dies, and then this like thing kind of slithers out of its head and. Yo, yes, I do. I do remember that now. And I believe that, or maybe it's three different instances in the middle one. I think it's when they're up on the big billboard, and one chink. Gotcha. I think it's during that sequence where they mention. Or maybe it's the dot. Anyway, it doesn't. It's not important. Um, what is important is that yeah, whatever that creature is, mm-hmm. burrows into the dead human, and then you know, mech suits it around. It's kind of interesting because like I don't know if you've watched the TV show The Strain at all, um, no. based on a book series by Chuck Hogan and Guillermo del Toro and that's kind of how the vampires in that show work okay. is there the there are these worms that uh, from an ancient being that crawl into your brain and uh uh take over your body and then from that point all the worms have like a hive mind that they can use to communicate with each other and okay. they take all of you, and they take all of your previous memories and I was like nice. hmm seems a little little similar <laughs> But no, going back to what you're saying about their names, I love Mr. Hand, Mr. Book, Mr. Yep. Wall. Uh, but I, but then like Mr. Shadow or or and some of them are like emotions or verbs. Like mm-hmm. it's a really interesting smattering of like they could have just stuck with nouns and it would have been really effective, but I appreciated that it seemed more like, you know, English is a second language. Here's your first lesson. Like it seemed like they genuinely like got it you know apple sad you know like (laughs) okay that's your name (laughs) i like to imagine they just have like a thing of cue cards and every time one of the bodies comes up they're like this is you this is you um and uh i i like it actually kind of reminds me of uh uh neil gaiman did something similar to it in american gods and had characters named after Objects. Okay. Like there's Mr. World and there's Miss and like it's uh it kinda reminds me of a of a similar thing. And like I've and on the on the Blu-ray there is a very long I thought it was gonna be an interview, it's actually just text, which I hate <laughs> when a feature is just text. Yeah. Um a uh, very long interview, uh not interview, review of Neil Gaiman, and I'm like, Oh, so you are a fan. And now <laughs> I'm seeing like once I once I find more and more of the like people who are a fan of this and like I can kind of see the the influence, the influence. that it's had. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of interesting considering it's a movie like I guess I wasn't intentionally uh avoiding it, but for being a film that I kind of avoided, it's interesting it had such a huge um effect on people yeah but i i knew i was automatically in uh engaged in this film like i i knew from that opening scene of john murdoch waking up in the bathtub and then when they cut to jennifer Connolly, you know doing her her fucking song performance yeah. and i was like oh this is just a sh- this is just a, a a sci-fi noir i'm i'm in <laughs> And like it, it felt like the fifties. Like it wasn't like they're taking noir elements and everything. Like they're dressed. It's a lot of the characters like the fifties. You couldn't place a time period, and it almost felt like the strangers were because we. I don't even know if this is Earth. They never said. Uh, and it almost just feels like this is the um, the strangers creating a world based on what they think would make. That may a be good another city. difference between the directors and the theatrical cut then because. In the director's cut, they definitely establish where they are. 
Oh, where, where are they? Um, they are on a big floating machine in space. Well, they show the big floating machine, but in the opening na- uh, narration that's not in the director's cut, Kiefer Sutherland has like this really dumb line. It was like, they came from outer space and they came to a, a little blue planet that we all know. Like, uh, he, he makes it seem like it could be Earth. Yeah. Like, I no, saw they, in... They took them, collected these people, and put them in this machine to study them floating out in the middle of space. Gotcha. So then maybe they actually did come to that floating blue planet and just round up a bunch of people. Yeah. Like, we don't, like... Uh, I feel like there's things that... in the, in the Which is funny, you know, they wanted it to be more clear in the theatrical cut, but I feel like we're <laughs> less clear. Of course. Or maybe I, maybe I just missed it. Maybe I just missed it. You know, that I, I'll, take, uh, I'll take honesty with that. Maybe I just, you know... Maybe uh, I done fucked up and just wasn't it, paying enough attention. It, it's... There's a lot of um, complicated storyline in this one that isn't, but which is good that it isn't, but it isn't like spoon fed to you. Um, it's a repeat viewing movie. Definitely, like, I like. I, I feel like each time I see it, I'm gonna like it more and more. Yeah. It's kind of like the first, well, same, actually, funny, same director. It's like the first time I saw The Crow. It's like, it wasn't bad, but every time I've seen it since then, it's like it's yeah. kind of moved up higher on on my list. Um, I had uh, a point I was going to make, and I couldn't remember what it was, so keep talking. Uh, one of the issues that I have with the film, um, and I don't know where this one is chronologically on his um, uh, filmography, but the there are many moments where the dialogue feels first scripty to me there there are lines in there that are like "Ooh, that seems like that one could have been written better that they're old they're very basic cliches that rub me the wrong way i have an answer for that if that helps okay yes Wow, it was actually like the third film he did. He did one movie called Spirits of the Air, Gremlins of the Clouds, uh, which is like an Australian post-apocalyptic. I feel like every Australian has to make a post-apocalyptic world uh, movie. Uh, And then he did The Crow, and then he did Dark City. But Dark City was the film he wrote in film school. Okay, yep. That that makes perfect sense. He wrote his original draft, and then Lem Dobbs came in to do uh, some rewrites. Lem Dobbs... uh, best known for writing films like SWAT and Haywire and I think the reason he got this film was um, uh, he, he wrote uh, he did an uncredited rewrite for Romance in the Stone Nice. Uh, and then um, after his draft they had David S. Goyer com- came, come in who's you know best known now for like he working on the Blade films, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy He I think he wrote Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman which you know whatever uh so he's done a lot of comic book comic book stuff and this was one of his his early films so like they they took um uh goyer's uh like he i think goyer might even mention that he said it was just you know it was kind of me making a pretentious film school movie and they had these other two guys come in and try to make make it a little bit more commercial yeah it's actually very similar to the uh, the um the journey that filmmaker richard stanley had while making his film uh hardware uh which is um in style wise kind of similar it's a it's a post-apocalyptic world about about a killer robot okay he said his original version that he made on Super 8 film when he was living in South Africa was like this pretentious 
film about two people trying to figure out their their place in life and um and uh uh when he got some attention for that short film and and um the Weinstein brothers wanted to do the film they were like well this is cool well, we got to commercialize this. You know what's popular right now? Alien and Terminator. Uh, Make it more like Alien and Terminator. And uh, uh, he did, and it's still pretty cool. But you know, you could tell that like because they have these these moments where it's kind of existential and you know figuring out your place in the world. And then there's the very Alien and Terminator scenes, which are pretty cool, all things considered. But, but wedged you know, in a little bit. Yeah, because his original film was not a film that would have gotten any attention, and. Yeah. Even his film uh, Hardware didn't get any attention. It had a ter- terrible uh, release, and I haven't heard of it. I feel like you like it, but you might not love it. Okay. I feel like you'd appreciate it. I feel like if anything, you're, you'd be you'd. I feel like you'd be noticing similarities to Dark City, either intentionally or unintentionally. Sure. Though I don't know like which one came first. But I I love the chicken. Hate the egg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, I, I'm just impressed by the cast they're able to get for this fucking right? movie. Yeah, like I'm not. I, Rufus Sewell is an, is an actor that I knew his face. If that makes sense, right? Like I, I, oh, I know that guy. And while I looked through his his filmography, and I was like, I've seen bits and pieces of some of these movies, so I wasn't really familiar with him. Um. And, like, sometimes my brain has this weird aversion where if I don't know an actor, it's hard for me to, like, to get into them right away. But, like, <laughs> I really liked Rufus Sewell as John Murdoch. And I know they talked, like, in the features that originally they wanted Johnny Depp to play that part. And this would have been a very different movie with Johnny Depp playing that part. Yeah, even, even what, uh, 90s Johnny Depp that like, plays if I had to ca- differently. If I had to cast Johnny Depp in this movie, like I had to, like, oh, you have to put him somewhere in this movie, I would have actually uh, potentially given him Kiefer Sutherland's role because I feel like 90s Johnny Depp could have had fun with that weird yeah. role or potentially one of the strangers. The I was thinking the stranger that gets implanted with John Murdoch's memories. Uh, Mr. Hand? Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, they had Rufus Sewell, William Hurt, which he's never bad. And when when I first saw, or the first several times that I saw this, uh, I had no idea who that was. Apparently, from according to Wikipedia, he was originally supposed to play Dr. Doctor Schraber. Okay, which Kiefer Sutherland did. A, he, that was a really um, intriguing interpretation of... I don't know if how much of that was written in or how much was key for what he brought to the role, um, but that was a really cool. When whenever that character came on screen, like he got my attention. No, and like funny thing is, like I, uh, I grew up. I don't want to say grew up. I want to say middle school onward. Um, just not liking Kiefer Sutherland because only way I knew him was twenty four. Okay. And I just had no interest in that fucking show at all. And then I feel like, not while not everything, most of everything he's done after that has felt like 24. Well, a lot of what he has done has been 24. But then, like, you know, his new TV show, Designated Survivor, just he's being too... Like, I I like fun Kiefer Sutherland, (laughs) 
like post two thousands Kiefer Sutherland when he was you know doing things like like uh, the original Flatliners, which I don't no. love as a movie, but I like him in it, or um, uh, Lost Boys, yeah. Twin Peaks. Yeah. Like he he, I don't know. He was really good then, <laughs> but like I just I see Kiefer Sutherland now, and I was like, oh, it's gonna be the same Kiefer Sutherland You've performance changed, that he. Man. <laughs> You used to be it's, cool. And then they changed what cool is. <laughs> like, and he's done some, like, he played him. Apparently, I'm, look, I'm looking at his filmography right now. I didn't know this. He played himself in Zoolander 2. So he's definitely, <laughs> he's, got a, he's got a sense of humor if he, if he signed on for that film. Right. But, like, I just, whenever I, I see him now, I'm always like, there's the 24 guy. And, like, oh. I want, I want the Kiefer Sutherland who made weird choices. Yeah. Like, like this guy, or like that's 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 the Bruce Willis I also miss. I want I miss the Bruce Willis who thought let's let's do Twelve Monkeys. Right. Where's oh. that Bruce Willis? God, I love that movie. And actually, that movie kind of reminds me of this movie too. Yep. It to an for, extent. Uh, when did Twelve Monkeys come out? It has to be the same era, within a couple of years of each other. Ooh, I will look that up for you because I love having an internet connection. <laughs> 1995, Dark City was 1998. Okay. So. Yeah, they 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 feel like they come from the same area, and there was that kind of you know this is when I was in high school and every yourself Nick everybody <laughs> uh, back when the dinosaurs roamed the earth and <laughs> and, and, and Kurt, telephones and Kurt, were tied to a wall and Kurt Cobain was still alive. Yeah, remember that dude? Um, like everybody looks on their the the things they loved in their formative years and goes, oh, things aren't the way they used to anymore. But there were so many good movies that came out in that era. There were. And I know for a lot of horror fans generally look at the 90s very negatively, but like... Yeah, we there there wasn't as much coming out and most of the horror franchise were dying then, but like... I, I guess I... This is not necessarily a horror film, but I feel like it shares some influence with it. And then like... In the mouth of madness, there was things going on in the nineties. Yeah. The nineties was a was a cool time. It was a transitional Plus, year for horror. Power Rangers was around. That was cool. <laughs> oh, the horror movie Power Rangers. Uh, that movie was kind of horrible to watch, though. Like it, they had me until they showed the Megazords, and it was the worst CG I've ever really? seen in my life. And I read somewhere online that they want to do a 4K restoration of that movie. I'm like, why? <laughs> Granted, I will buy it. You have my money. <laughs> but why? You answered your own question because they already have your money. I, I, I read this. I was like, 4K restoration of Power Rangers. I already have my wallet out counting out my money. I'm like, this is stupid. What a terrible idea. Who, Who do I give this to? <laughs> I, I I can't say anything. I I, I bought an import to the Super Mario Brothers movie it's just so I could have it on Blu-ray. <laughs> no Mario Mario. <laughs> I'm Luigi Mario. I will defend that movie too to the grave. <laughs> I'll take the Super Mario Brothers movie over the Masters of the Universe movie any day. I've actually never seen the Masters of the Universe movie. Shameless. <laughs> is that really a movie you want to defend though or do, uh, you, do you want us to review i'll watch it i, I certainly gladly watch it i certainly think we should watch it i'm not saying it's brilliant by any means <laughs> but it needs to be seen well fine i i will see your uh your your um 
uh, Masters of the Universe movie and raise you the Double Dragons movie. Oh! <laughs> Touche. <laughs> have you seen the Double Dragons movie? I have movie? not. <laughs> I loved it as a kid. I have not seen it since. Oh, this is going to be a good double feature episode. <laughs> I feel like when I come back from Florida, that should be what we yep. do, is just do a double feature. Because I, I can't find the exact date of our anniversary for this show. <laughs> According to SoundCloud, we're at 10 months. <laughs> yeah, I know we recorded a, we, we, recorded we stopped a few, yeah. But uh, early on, we did a double feature episode, and I feel like it's time for another We're one. ripe. <laughs> we're ripe for a double feature. And this is going to be more like the... Not the shameless picture show, but the shameful, like, the, there's gotta <laughs> the be... shameful the, picture show. The, the shame on us picture show. <laughs> oh, I have found, though, the one, like, some of the some of the weirder movies that we have talked about <laughs> seem to be the ones that get us the most, most like, views on, on SoundCloud. Really? Which is, is kind of great. Yeah. <laughs> Heathers did really well, our Star Trek one. Is always a leader. I don't think is the leader anymore. Okay. But um, surprisingly, one of your soul episodes did really well. So I'm <laughs> assuming you're just like refreshing. Yeah, I listen to myself constantly. <laughs> no, uh, I can't bring myself to listen to those. I uh, well, I usually ha- well, other than editing, I try not to as well, unless there's like, if I'm really proud of like audio clip I put in there, then I'll yeah. like fast forward to that and like. I'm proud of this. Because <laughs> that's never, how vain I am. Never a drum set around when you need one. No, and even if there was, I don't know how to play it. <laughs> Just three hits, and two of them are the same drum. But um, cymbal. <laughs> but and I knocked the drum set over. <laughs> damn it! How do you do this? How do you work Why this? Is it's so hard. How do you work this infernal contraption? <laughs> This has been the uh, this has been the least Dark City episode we have done about Dark City. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hold on. What do you want to bring up, Nick? Because, like I said, I it's hard for me to take notes in a movie I've never seen. So I, I it's hard for me to come in uberly prepared. What's up? <gasps> so the actor that played Mr. Hand. Yeah. Do you know who that is? Yeah. I just I discovered was... it just now. That is Riff Raff from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes, he is. I had and, and now I'm never going to be able to not see it because it's so obvious. Once I mean, that's it's a lot of makeup in both cases, you know. It's, yeah. Uh, where the the costume kind of takes over, but holy shit! Apparently, he was also in the TV show Phineas and Ferb. Ooh, nice. Which I've I've never seen, but I know oh, it's very popular. It's a very good show. It's. That was one of the ones that I would actually put on for my kids when they were little because I could stand it, and it was pretty awesome. Makes sense. I've, uh, me and Amanda have been watching uh, Rick and Morty lately. Mm-hmm. I've only seen a couple episodes. I really enjoyed it, um, but I'm going hardcore into Bob's Burgers. Uh, and Gravity, Gravity Falls was fun back when that was on. Gravity Falls is so good. I was so disappointed when, that, when, when the writer the creator pulled the plug himself because he didn't want to dilute the storyline. Um, like, he felt like he couldn't come up with quality enough storyline without it starting to suck, and so he pulled the plug himself. That's what I've heard. I respect people who could do that. Re- totally. Absolute respect, but also disappointment because it is so good. Yeah. 
Like I'm, I'm kind of. Uh, we'll eventually get back to Dark City, <laughs> but uh, I feel like this is what people have come to love about. Yeah, us. Uh, yeah. I'm. I was always really weird about cartoons because I've always loved them, but like. I feel like every kid goes through that that feeling where like cartoons kitty stuff. I don't want to watch that shit no more. And then like I'm also uh uh much to my own chagrin a a hipster <laughs> where when something's too popular I have an aversion to it. And I I try not to be such a a uh uh a, a closed-minded person, but it's hard. <laughs> so like and even though uh a good good friend of mine we used to write for Adventure Time. I refused to watch oh, it. I, we, and we need I'm to Dick, get him on the show. Dick, if you're listening to this, I apologize. If you come on this show sometime and talk about a movie on your shame list, I will watch some of Adventure Time. It and is it will be so a, good. I, I've heard it's great. It's just like when it was like the biggest thing in the world and I couldn't turn my head without seeing those characters. And I'm like, fuck Adventure Time. And I'm, that's why I'm actually surprised I'm watching Rick and Morty right now because that's okay. kind of how popular that is right now. Right. But, uh, uh, Dick, if you're listening to this, I doubt you are. But if you are, I will watch Adventure Time before I force you to come on this show. I've already seen it all, so I've got you covered. So you're gonna just fangirl all over your microphone. I am gonna, I'm going to work as hard as I can to not fangirl all over it. Because <laughs> then you got to buy them a new microphone. Yeah, right. Uh, I just picked up the Bob's Burgers special edition vinyl set, which I is bought the CD for Amanda. Amazing. <laughs> I love that they include all the Bob's Buskers versions of the songs on there. <laughs> yeah. Because I should not be, like, in tears listening to the Nationals sing about a gravy boat. It's not a Navy boat. It's the uh, gravy boat. And then Stephen Merritt's really soulful version of Autopsy it just is painfully sweet. They'll say, Thomas Edison, he's the... Man to get us into this century And that man is me They'll say Autopsy at my Autopsy But no one will be More shocked than me But I never noticed The curve of her trunk And I never noticed His electric junk We might just have found Electric love Electric love Electric love Electric love stuff happens in the bathroom is by far my favorite <laughs> i don't know i knew that show was genius when i heard the line they'll say autopsy at my autopsy i'm like ah they rhyme the same word with the same word but it's not the same word they're geniuses <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'm so dark city. I'm going to apologize now to anyone who's tuned into this show to hear some uh, a really deep discussion about dark city. Yeah, nope, not it's, happening. Uh, <laughs> it's not happening. I'm going to try to pull some of that out though, because Nick, I the thing I love about doing this show with you is you have a very different way of thinking than I do. We ha- we share some similarities in the fact that we're both filmmakers, but a thing I've always liked about you is the fact that you come more from a literary background. Yeah. So you are you read into things more than I do, pun intended. Literary <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the philosophical meanings behind this film. What you th- okay? You, some of what you think, and more specifically, Shell Beach. Because Shell Beach, for me, in the, watching this film, is the most haunting aspect about this film. It's sure. the equivalent. Here's another spoiler for the uh, spoiler to Twelve Monkeys. So if you haven't seen that movie, cover your ears. The Shell Beach. Just thinking about Shell Beach and thinking about the, that giant sign, uh, and you know the images of the beach, to haunt me in the same way as the beginning shot of Twelve Monkeys, where little kid Bruce Willis, without him knowing, watches himself get gunned down. Yeah. They have this both haunting quality to it, and I wanted to talk about a person, especially because you've seen this movie so many times. What you feel? Is the the bigger meaning behind Shell Beach? Because I've asked I, my favorite thing throughout this film is him asking people, "Do you know how to get to Shell Beach?" No, yeah. like well, that question haunts me. Yeah, I, I mean it's it's a relatively fresh take on a MacGuffin. You know, you you have this this thing that you're trying to track down. Um, in this case, it's a place, and I think that speaks to um, and and the title of the film as well. It speaks to how big of a role this place plays in the storyline that that the city itself is in most films the setting is just that it's the setting it's the place that it that all of the action happens but in this case the city is in some ways the antagonist Uh, yeah so the the idea of Shell Beach is is this it's a part of um, his memories and many of the characters' memories, um, which are not their own anymore. So who's it, it represents who they used to be versus who they are now. And, and by the time he figures it all out, you realize that all that you are now is puzzle pieces from a bunch of different puzzles, and you have to make a single image out of it. There's, hmm. how how are you gonna get your personality back? Who are you now? Yeah. Do, do you start fresh and just say, well, this collection is who I am, and that's the way that it is, or do you work with the doctor to make some attempt to restore who you used to be? Um, and so so Shell Beach in many ways represents who they used to be, uh, Earth, uh, their their home, their memories, all of these things, and it's great that. Shell Beach doesn't actually exist, and through John's tuning ability, he has to create it. Um, I I think at that moment when he creates Shell Beach and walks out and sees Jennifer Connelly again, and oh, let's walk to Shell Beach together, um, it it shows just how bleak this quote unquote happy ending is. They're never they're never gonna get back to Earth. They're never gonna become who they were. They just have to make do on this floating city that they can make that they can shape to to John's will, 
but it's still a very bleak version of a happy ending. Yeah, and I feel like it's worth mentioning real quick to those who don't know what a MacGuffin is. Uh, I don't remember if Hitchcock necessarily coined the term, but he's the one I associate it most with. A MacGuffin is essentially a false lead. You know, um, the, um, the mo- one of the most more famous examples of a MacGuffin being the uh, the briefcase of money, or I don't, not briefcase, but the money in Psycho. Uh, you know, it's 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 you you believe at the beginning of the film it's a motivating factor and it's really not. So, for those who don't aren't familiar with that term, I've always kind of known what it was, but I I just realized maybe someone might not know exactly what. And it not means. necessarily a false lead. It could yeah. be a genuine. Uh, uh, the dictionary definition that I just pulled up describes it as an object or device in a movie or a book that serves merely as a trigger for the plot. Okay. Um, so uh, the the one that I that always triggers in my head is Rosebud, in, yeah. Which, that's which fair. you don't even find out. It it's more of a conceptual MacGuffin, but you do find out later that it is an actual object. Um, or uh, in any of the Indiana Jones ones, the the object that he's going after in the, you know, in the, it's it's the reason to send him on the adventure. It doesn't really have a whole lot of. Uh, it, it's just this thing you're going after. It's essentially your inciting. It's it's, an, it's your inciting incident. <clears throat> yeah, a MacGuffin you see in most films about spies. It is a thing that the spies are after. In the days of Roger Kipling, it would be the plans of the fort on the Khyber Pass. It would be the plans of an airplane engine. And the plans uh, of an atom bomb, anything you like. It's always called the thing that the characters on the screen worry about, but the audience don't care. And someone asks, what is a MacGuffin? And there's a, the, it's described in a scene in an English train going to Scotland. And one man says to the other opposite him, he said, what's that package above your head there? And the other man said, oh, that, that's a MacGuffin. He said, what is a MacGuffin? He said, well, it's an apparatus for trapping lions in the Scottish Highlands. The man said, but there are no lions in the Scottish Highlands. He said, then that's no MacGuffin. <laughs> All right. Uh, one thing I really liked about the whole Shell Beach aspect of it was I really liked that scene of Jennifer Connelly s- uh, sitting out looking at the water yeah. near the mi- middle of the film, and Mr. Hand comes up and starts uh, talking to her using memories of John's. And, you know, you get the idea that in this version of, of their reality, they met each other by the water. And I like that once they have to essentially re-meet each other you know, like once they know how this world came to be and they haven't really been in love, that they meet each other once again At the by water. the water. Yeah. And I just think that's a nice Well, the, the, the whole Shell Beach thing also emphasizes the dark element of Dark City, too. Is And, and this plays through in the dialogue as well. When was the last time you saw the sun? You know, when was, when was the last time it wasn't like quarter to midnight um and you 
get John's memories of this blinding light at the beach and when he first opens that door at the end to the outside and you can see the entire city shifting at John's will towards the sun um, so that, that MacGuffin, that thing that he's striving for, that memory that represents who they used to be is also emphasized in the fact that Shell Beach is this place where the sun shines all the time and and to the point where you've been watching as an audience member the darkness for you know whatever hour and a half hour 20 and when he finally pushes that door open like you almost physically wince a little bit and 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 shield your eyes a little bit because it is such a glaring contrast to what you've been watching for so long there's actually a really nice quote in um a Batman comic that I like quite a bit called The Long Halloween. Oh, which yeah. Is, That's a great uh, one. <laughs> which is, uh, for those who don't know, it's kind of... Uh, it's a it's a retelling of the story of Harvey Dent and how he went on to become the Joker. And you can see influence of for it in the Christopher Nolan films. It, it was one and, of his like three or four main sources that he pulled from. And uh, there's a great quote in there where they're talking about, like, oh, we can... Um, we can break Harvey Dent just because he's the shining light. And they say in the the comic that, you know, the brighter the picture is, the darker the negative. Yeah. And that's kind of how I view Dark City. No matter how dark that city is, the other side of it is going to be painfully, blindingly bright. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, and we brought it back to Christopher Nolan again, too. But it, we can't stop. And um, I'll... Uh, branch out i think it was well first was there anything else that you wanted to say about dark city um funny thing is i feel like there is a lot but be so much time has gone on that i'm um i'm i'm um i'm struggling to pull for for some of it i i guess like things are lacking an inciting incident (laughs) yeah i one thing i really appreciate i liked about this movie is just like because sometimes the, the, when questions like this come up in a film, it could sometimes feel like it's trying too hard, but it felt very organic in this film where um, the big question of, like, who we are and why are we here? Yeah. And, uh, oh, one thing I do want to talk about is the, uh, the I don't want to say painful as in a bad way, but the painfully um, obvious influence from Metropolis. Oh, sure, yeah. Yep. Like, um, just the strangers in their whole underground city just feels like the workers in Metropolis constantly, you know, keeping everything going by turning the gears and everything. And a lot of the set design and it whatnot up. feels like, even in the, uh, I don't know if it was in the director's cut or not, but after that scene with Kiefer Sutherland, you know, narrating the film, it goes through like a cityscape and you can tell that it's all miniatures and it's made to look just like Metropolis. And yeah. It's, I and, also got yeah. some, uh, the, the feel of, uh, HR and I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Geiger. Geiger, Geiger. in here. Uh, that man is a depressing motherfucker. <laughs> there is a story, and I, I, I wish I could remember who told it. It was on a podcast I listened to. They're talking about the t- a time they went to Germany to meet with Geiger, and they're sitting in his apartment. And this man, at the time, pretty much his days were he'd paint all day, go out and get drunk on absinthe, come back and paint some more, sleep, and then you know, wake up and do it all over again. And he said it was sitting in his apartment, and it's just wall-to-wall paintings. And 
uh, wasn't taking very good care of them. Sometimes he would just paint over other ones to make new paintings and whatnot. And uh, there was a, a canvas that had this weird-looking brown paint on it. And uh, he said, uh, the, the, the person telling the story is like, what happened there? And he's like, oh, that was from the other day ago. My girlfriend blew her brains out. Ugh. And the, it's just on the painting still. I'm like, uh. whoa. <laughs> and he, he wasn't phased by any of this. I'm like, this is, uh, to quote Friday the 13th, he is, an, he, well, he's not American, but he's American original. <laughs> he's an un-American original. There you go. <laughs> Um, but anyways, continue about the Geiger thing. I just had to tell that story. Uh, just like, just it, yeah. Um, it, it felt like there was some of his influence in there too. But. I could see it. But, uh, no, it's like, that was, a uh, you know, coming from, you know, coming from a background of film, of film school and having to learn the importance of Metropolis and having seen the film various times throughout my life, various lengths, you know, depending on which cut I'm watching, it's, it's, you can't not see the influence it's had on people. And, uh, you know, or even like something like Nosferatu or the cabinet of Dr. Caligari with just the look of the strangers, of the strangers and how they sure. and they have that kind of like German expressionist yeah. vibe to them, which is which is kind of cool. And uh, I, I just I liked the style a lot. Like it's it's essentially if you took like a, a, a hard nosed noir film took metropolis and shook it up <laughs> this is what you'd get <clears throat> there there's a line in the film too that i i wish they would have left out because it's a little too on the nose and i prefer leaving things to you know to the audience but they s- explain like how didn't you notice how there are elements of every era in this i remember city. that yes and it was like oh like just cut that line like just let the audience feel like there's all of those elements in there yeah you don't you don't need to lay it out there and show off how smart you were like just let people either catch it or not catch it yeah that that felt i couldn't tell if that was just like poor writing or if that was like a producer's note but uh uh, it might have just been poor writing because if it's still in the second cut it felt like that first script syndrome like i gotta make sure that i you know show everybody how smart i am line that if you would have left it out it would have been much more impactful yeah there is one last thing i want to talk about and this scene was cringy enough for me that if the rest of the movie wouldn't have been great it would have taken me out of the film (laughs) nice what scene Um, is that uh the uh the psychokinetic fight scene at the end where they're flying oh, through the yeah. air just like like i imagine as a pain in the ass to shoot cause they just have to grimace at each other and you know hope uh, that it looks cool in po- post-production is like that scene, i thought the same thing on this watching it like have you ever seen the movie shocker no there's a scene in the movie shocker because the whole point of it is a character that can travel through electricity through televisions okay. and the end fight you know is Wes Craven trying to create another Freddy Krueger type character and at the end fight scene is these two characters jumping through televisions and beating the shit out of each other and almost like making it like a Looney Tunes type scene and it worked because they weren't taking themselves seriously they shot this scene with dead seriousness <laughs> and it felt cringy because oh. they like someone thought this is gonna be cool yeah oh <laughs> and like I was watching, I'm like, oh, 
if the rest of the movie wouldn't have been great, this would be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's still pretty bad, but the rest of the movie was pretty fucking cool, so I can forgive it. <laughs> well, there are two things that I'd like to talk about outside of Dark City. Okay. Uh, this, it, it, when it rains, it pours. And as you know, like for a very long time, because I have young children, I haven't really been able to get to the movie theater much at all. Yep. Well, since the recording of our last episode, I have gotten to see two movies in the Ooh. theater. What did you see, Nick? I saw Dunkirk. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. I'm kind of bummed because I wanted. I feel like I have to see it on the big screen. <laughs> yeah. Um, tried to see it in IMAX, but did, we missed it by days. Um, and uh, But it was still really great. Um, really great film. Uh, big scale, I yeah. can imagine. No, uh, Nolan. Definitely one to see in the theater. Um, now, Interstellar is the only film of his that I have not seen. Um, try to if you since you can't see it in the theater now, try to watch it on the biggest TV you can. Okay. Or at least sit as close as you can to your TV so it feels <laughs> bigger. I'll take a picture of myself with my nose touching the screen. Yeah, it's kind of like that old JVC logo. The guy <laughs> yeah. sitting in his chair being blown away. Uh, the other one I saw, it. What did you think? I saw it. <laughs> um, was it good? It it was great. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I find that most of the complaints that I've heard uh, are typical of remake complaints. Like, it wasn't the original. Well, no, it's not going to be the original. It's, plus, it's not a remake. It's a re-adaptation. Of, of the source material, yeah. Um, I um, I loved it. Obviously, uh, I did too. What's his name from uh, Stranger Things was amazing. <laughs> all those kids killed it though. Yes, like, they were all great. Great, great casting. Uh, I heard a great anecdote about how when they were shooting the second season of um, Stranger Things, mm-hmm. like he came back on set and was dropping the f bomb nonstop because of his experience on set with it <laughs> that's great like I, that kid i don't think he's gonna know I, I feel like he's just gonna think he lives in the 80s at this point totally yeah <laughs> like he's just like he's in like I, uh, a, a friend of mine said on facebook that that kid's probably a professional bike rider by now <laughs> because he spent like his formative years in in, in his career riding bikes Um. <laughs> uh. Whoa, what does that sound? That, that's uh, Ice Machine. <laughs> cool. Uh, but, yeah. No, I, uh, I, he, I, he I is, will continue. He is all of us in the late 80s. <laughs> to, for, uh, the, it's not from this movie, but the, uh, the young character that I, from a movie that I always really gravitate to is the, uh, I don't remember his name, but the chubby kid from, uh, from uh, Super 8, the one who was... You know, through everything, was like, we have to finish this movie. Oh. Because that, that, that reminded me of me, because that's what I was like. But, no, I loved it, awesome. too. And, like, I haven't read the book yet, but uh, uh, some good friends of mine have told me that um, while the, the Tim Curry original film follows the book more closely... But like I like and I and I was, I still love the original movie. It doesn't really necessarily work for me now, but it scared me so much when I was younger. Uh, I can't really compare the two because I love both of them for a yeah. different reason. Like the new it is 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 
is how I remember the original it being in terms of scares. <laughs> there's a there's a couple like uh, cheap scares in the new it that I don't appreciate, but there's so many of them that work for me. Yeah. And uh, and my like I watch Amanda a lot of times when I'm watching these movies because I can usually predict when something's happening, and if it doesn't get her, it doesn't work. Right. Because she's 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 not as in tune to it as I am. But like the kids were great. I like the the needle drops they chose, like all the songs they picked. Yeah. And I thought it was shot really well too. Yep. Uh, and I really liked the performance of the uh, of the guy that played Pennywise. He was fucking frightening. Uh, I was never afraid of the first it. It was too. Tim Curry brought too much comedy to it for me to be scared. I loved it. Mm-hmm. But it was. It was too vibrant of a performance to scare me. I was also younger than you were. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, like, I, I rewatched the original It, I want to say, a couple months before the new one came out. I saw the new one, and then I decided to go back and rewatch uh, the original It with the commentary that I'm still working through. It's like before I go to bed, I keep it in the DVD player and I'll pop it on and I'll watch a couple of scenes listening to, because it's kind of interesting, all the actors together, but they only talk about the scenes that they're specifically in. Yeah. So it's kind of like uh, you're hearing, you know, their experiences in those scenes, so it's kind of cool. But like, and I can see why some people really like this. I like that in the new It, the clown felt like he didn't feel human he yeah. felt like an otherworldly creature trying to be human where yeah. in the original it and i can definitely see why this would work on people who or who why people would prefer this tim curry felt like a pedophile in 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 fucking makeup right yeah sure and uh you know i just i guess i i knew i know what i want that character to be and the new it was closer to how i imagined that character being the we we already brought up this reference point earlier for for dark city but um the the new it almost had a bit of nosferatu in him Mm -hmm. um with the teeth and and the way that he'd kind of pull into himself when he was talking to one Mm -hmm. of the kids particularly that uh that sewer drain sequence and why it worked in that, and specifically that sewer drain, the sewer drain sequence works for me, is because the way that uh, I think his name is uh, something Skarsgård. I can't think of uh, his name. The reason it works for me is because he's kind of got that that weird, almost Brooklyn accent still that Tim Curry had, but he pr- delivers it and the way that they make him look, where you almost feel like he could be a child. Yeah. Like, he's trying to be a child to get this kid interested. And then, like, just how sinister he gets. Like, there's a great scene where his, like, his, his eyes are looking two different directions that makes me laugh. Because you feel like whatever creature's inside of this can't hold this form for very long. Right. Yeah. My, my person suit is starting to... Like when you just, wear your Halloween costume all night, and yeah. the parts are all starting to shift, and I just think that 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 opening scene from Men in Black, where the guys like just struggling to keep the skin on. <laughs> I've never seen Shudder do anything like that. <laughs> Shudder, sugar, Shudder, more, more. <laughs> uh, no, I I really liked it. Like. Uh, you know, there's things I definitely liked better in the original version. There's some scenes I think worked better, like 
the where, where the when the blood comes out of Beverly's sink, I think actually works better in the original one because it's just too over the top in the new one, yep. where it's just like the entire fucking. <laughs> room is it's like it just feels like a sam raimi evil dead scene where it's like a fucking fire hose of blood where in the original one it was like a balloon coming out that pops i i thought of uh nightmare on elm street when johnny depp gets pulled into the bed (laughs) yes yeah um but what what i couldn't stop thinking during that scene is that bathroom's supposed to be on the other side of the hallway (laughs) why what in the last film the bathroom was on the other side of the hallway. Oh, okay. I get what you mean. Um, and there's times where, like, there's times where, like, the original, like, I felt like the original, it was a little more subtle than the new one. It, it's kind of like what we're talking about Dark City. There's times where it's just a little too on the nose. Yeah. Um, where, like, in both versions, we know Beverly's dad is a fucking creep. Yeah. But I feel like they really amped him up in the new one. I... Like, he, he was amped him up, yes, but some of the, which was true of the uh, the acting style at the time, but, like, the way that, I worry an awful lot, baby, from the first one, like, again, like, turned it Fair. into a, like, I was, I was made more uncomfortable by the more, and maybe this isn't the right word, but the more realistic acting style of... Beverly's father in this one. That's fair. And even like the scene where they're cleaning up the bathroom, which made me laugh that like you just, because they just left that other kid yeah. outside forever. And they, I love that they commented on it too. Totally. But like, you know, there was like those moments like he's going to come home any minute now. And like there's like this dread inducing quality yeah. to it. And, yeah. But, but yeah, in, in the the Tim Curry version, that scene, the, what, what's that, girl? What's that? What are you doing? Like it was, it just. It felt a little too campy for me to ever truly be afraid of it. It's fair. Uh, what I'm really hoping that they have in in the second it, it to it again. It, it, uh, um, it, it, is, it. I hope. I hope they put that really lame bike riding, the adult bike riding scene in. <laughs> Because uh, that's so terrible. Oh, it's, uh, all the adult stuff is so bad in the original it. The way you do the things you do, yeah. <laughs> However, there's a great moment in the commentary, which I cannot think of the actor's name. Um, hold on, let me pull up the... Uh, um, I want to pull up the cast so I can get the actor's name right, or at least the character name, because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty bad with these. Tim Reed, who played Mike. Okay. Uh, the, the, the only black kid in this town. <laughs> uh, he actually has a great uh, line in the commentary for the original one. Where he's like, everyone else moved out of town, and I'm just here, keeping up that consensus. It's like I've got to be the one minority person in this damn town. <laughs> you can't move out. And I was just, I, I started laughing uncontrollably at that. Uh, so yeah, so that was it was cool to get out and see something in the theater for for a change. Um, but no, I think. Uh, I think that's going to do it. Yeah. It's, it was a good episode, Nick. And uh, uh, I feel like I should mention that I am uh, ne- I probably won't be on the next episode. Yeah. Because I, 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 I will I have, be going to Florida. I have two different thoughts in mind. We'll see which one I'm able to pull off. But uh, I, got, I got something in, in store for you either way. Sounds good. That gives me something to listen to on the, uh, the ride back. 
yeah. for the plane ride back. Because uh, I'm leaving Monday to go to Florida, um, which will be um, before this is posted. <laughs> so I'll already be in Florida by the time this goes up. Uh, and I won't be coming back until, I don't know if it's the 17th or 18th, but I'm not going back to work until the 20th. Nice. So uh, it's me and, our, me and Amanda's one-year anniversary is coming up. Oh, congratulations. That's we're right, because go... you guys got married when we around the time that we started the show. On yeah. Halloween, yeah. Because yeah. we had to bank episodes because I was going to New Orleans for yeah. the honeymoon. And uh, it's our one-year anniversary coming up. We're going to go visit her best friend who lives in Florida. Uh, she lives uh, a little more Midland. But uh, we re- I've realized Amanda has never been to Disney World. I went when I was really younger, really little. And so I have some memories. But I think she's never gone. We have to go to Disney World for a day. You gotta. So we're gonna go to Magic Kingdom. Cool. And I'm gonna ride the probably the Haunted Mansion like 50 times. <laughs> Haunted Mansion is amazing. That's like the strongest memory I have. I have a couple memories of the parts of the Caribbean. It's a small world and the Peter yeah. Pan flight ride, but like Haunted Mansion Haunted still Mansion. holds up as an adult. I got pissed off though because you remember there's that there's that part in the Haunted Mansion where you ride and you're in a cart and. This is not going to be fun because I'm actually pantomiming <laughs> it on camera. Where then, like, you get to the two-way mirrors and you see, like, the ghosts sitting on, on your cart and everything. Yeah. I got the same ghost every time and it pissed me off. Like, I want a different ghost. <laughs> uh, and if, yeah, I, I want to think, I, I'm pretty sure it's at Universal. I don't even know if it's still there. Um, but the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror... I think they got rid of that. Did they? I yeah. hate drop rides. Hate them. I I don't. I'm not good at thrill rides. Period. I did the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror every single time because of everything that happened before the drop. <laughs> oh, it was that good. It was that good, and it's all just the stuff to keep you entertained while you wait in a long freaking line. But it's it's the I Twilight appreciate the Zone. Disney. I appreciate was, that Disney does that. Yeah. That they kind of make the weight a part of the ride as well. Yep. But no, I, I also heard they got rid of Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, which... Hey, everybody wants Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. <laughs> I was actually going to reference the old Disney World uh, commercial that used to come on the VHS tape where the two kids are packing their bags. And he's like, and one thing to remember, don't ever eat before you go on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. I totally remember that. Like after I mentioned that you you just have complete flashbacks to that yep. scene, don't you? Yep. <laughs> but no, Brody oh. is right. Everyone wants Mr. Toad's <laughs> Ride, but it's closed now. Oh man, no one will ever get Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. No, like I'm a little like cause I'm such a big uh, mark for old school Disney. Like I'm a like we, Amanda's got this app she she can see like what wait times are for rides and everything and where the characters are and yeah. like they, they still have Goofy and they still have Mickey and everything but then it's like Anna and Elsa and Baymax and like <laughs> I'm not opposed to those characters I just I don't I don't like when they get rid of classic Disney stuff to make room for new Disney stuff I just imagined you like going up to Baymax and you know Amanda getting all excited and you just look them dead in the <laughs> eyes and be like I don't know you um, you're not my character. You're not. You sit five feet away. Five feet away. Get out of here, you 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 squishy motherfucker. <laughs> I'm I'm not saying that we won't develop some kind of relationship, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> not there with you yet. You are the reason Mr. Toad's Wild Ride is gone. Baymax. God. 
Everyone know you are just you are just a battle bot. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Um, have an excellent trip. I Happy will. anniversary. Thank you. Um, we will see you back in two episodes while I yep. keep the the lantern lit. And uh, I hope everybody enjoyed our conversation about Dark City, which was only one third about Dark City. Uh, but that's how we do. Yeah, I want to say, like, like, see how long we've been recording. We've been recording for about an hour and 16, probably 30 minutes, <laughs> if we're lucky, are actually about Dark City. I think we talked more about it, yes, honestly. Yeah. Like, and I, like, so I just feel like I just really need to spe- stress. I loved Dark City. I'm probably going to watch it again sometime soon. It was like, a great I, movie. I want to do a double feature of Dark City and 12 Monkeys, because Amanda's never seen 12 Monkeys, oh. but, like... Three weeks have passed, people. <laughs> Give and us like, a break. I've watched so much stuff since then. <laughs> I've got Turner Classic Movies I'm at work. That's what I've been watching. Like, whenever I'm on break, I watch a half hour of whatever's on Turner Classic Movies. <laughs> and the other day, it was the Omega Man. Nice. <laughs> Which fits well with the uh, Planet of the Apes episode that we did. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. And then when I do come back, me and Nick will discuss what we're going to record then we might do our our amazing double dragon matches of the universe our, double feature. our shame on us uh podcast episode like that, that should just be something we do every once in a while yeah this is a shame on us episode for like choosing to watch something like i don't know i i feel like we'll have to figure out how to make that work and then I also feel like coming up, we should just do another topic episode. Yeah, like, we did yeah. one early on when we just kind of picked a topic and talked about it. Yeah, but um, um, I I agree. Four weeks from now, uh, Double Dragon and Masters of the Universe double yep, feature. I'll, I'll have to make sure that both of them are available to find. <laughs> we'll 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 refine this idea. Pending any availability complications, we'll do our best. You know us. We made no promises. <laughs> no. Like, how long were we teasing that Buffy episode? We we need to record that Buffy episode. <laughs> <laughs> we really do. I don't think I had to record on that. Those are actually two guys doing our impressions. Doing impressions of us during that Buffy episode. <laughs> they got tired of waiting. Yeah. It, it wasn't officially sanctioned. We just got lazy and put it up. <laughs> All right, All Nick. Right. I'll, let you, I'll let you go and actually get some work done. Even though you are getting paid to talk to me. Whoop. That's how little we like each other. He has to be paid to talk to me. <laughs> nonsense, bearded brother. Fellow fish, facial hair aficionado. That is not easy. Ooh, ten times fast. Go. I could barely say once. <laughs> uh, and until next time, this has been us jabbering on nonsensically. I will see you in two weeks. I'll be I'll, I'll probably be sending you pictures though. <laughs> Wish you were here from yep. Greetings from Shell Beach. It's 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 going to be just like Amanda's going to be in the background like oh. Oh, This is my trip. <laughs> my we we are like the long distance Turk and JD. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we can't actually eagle because we are not in the same state. But it's there. It's it, we're we're there in spirit. The next step will be to actually have your wife remember who I am. Right, <laughs> or meet you. Yeah.
Because you met my wife. Yep. We're like a- after Florida, we will. Our, our next trip is either going to be Virginia or possibly out to come see you. Yay! Because I've got family in Virginia, and I haven't been there since my grandmother passed away. So, you know, Virginia is not all that far. It isn't. Depending on where you're at, yeah. it's the Appalachian Mountains. So since okay. you have to take, you have to, you have to, it's. It's it's out probably, of the way because you have to take the uh, the uh, the mountain trail. Yeah, probably about three hours, I would guess. I'll keep that in mind. For what it's worth. All right, I think that's it, Nick. I, yep, we will say goodbye for the seventh time. All and, right. Uh, cue the music. We out. Cue it now. Not so fast, boys and girls. The Shameless Picture Show isn't over yet. No. Um, When we recorded this episode, it was right before I went on vacation. Uh, uh, Nick's family got extremely sick, couldn't take care of it. That's why we had a whole episode last week. We had something between me and my wife. So, this is 24, but it was supposed to be 23. Regardless, in that amount of time, before I recorded uh, the last one, it's not important. I got some new Vinegar Syndrome titles in that I was not able to tack on to another episode, so I'm recording something new for you guys today. This was a great haul. They sent me three things. All of them are really cool. Some cooler than others. I'm going to talk about them in order of which I liked them, and then you will all be good listeners and go and buy some titles from them because I'm hoping if you guys show your love for the Shameless Picture Show podcast and show some love towards Vinegar Syndrome, our badass sponsor, maybe they'll throw me a promo code. That way we can all save some money on some cool titles. First off, they sent me their new release of Demon... What? Demon? That's not a word. Demon Wind. The strange and brutal deaths of Corey's grandparents has haunted him for years. Determined to discover the truth, he has returned to the desolate region where they lived, along with a group of friends, to try and uncover the mystery. Ignoring warnings from the locals that the area is cursed, Corey and his friends soon realize that the legends are true, as the demon wind possesses and destroys them one by one, turning them into monsters from hell. Taking equal inspiration from the evil dead, and the visual aesthetics of the early 80s work of Lucho Fulci, Charles Philip Moore's Demon Wind is a supernatural shocker loaded with an abundance of gore and extraordinary good creature effects. Never released on DVD, Demon Wind comes to Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome in a brand new 2K restoration of its 35mm camera negative. I wanted to like this movie so much. I don't. I didn't hate it. It was a lot of fun. Me and my me and my wife Amanda watched it together, and it would be a great party movie. Um, the first thing I will tell you is this cover is badass. There's a picture of a really cool looking demon that never really appears in the film. All the demons are kind of like, if you take, like, the demons from like. Demon Knight, I think, is the one movie I'm thinking of, and melt them, so they're all gloopy. That's what these guys look like. Um, so, the funny thing is, like, I can tell this movie had a pretty okay budget. It was shot really nicely. Um, 
there were some cool effects in it. There was definitely, like I said, the Evil Dead influence. But my problems with it come from very from very unlikable characters. Um, there was not a single character I was hoping made it out of this movie alive. Uh, and that could be contributed to the fact that none of them were re- that really, none of them were that good at acting. And I feel like that's kind of what some of it came from. And it also felt like it was a couple different scripts all meshed together because there were some things I really loved. There was these two characters that were, they're introduced by driving down in a Corvette and they're speaking over a megaphone and one of them's doing magic and they're wearing capes and they're like, oh my God, this is fucking ridiculous. And apparently they're magicians who also do Kung Fu. Like, okay, that's weird. And then at one point, he rips off his cape, and it's never brought up again. And then later on, they kind of become demon hunters. Like, one character straight up looks like he's trying his hardest to be Kyle Reese from Terminator, and they got shotguns for some reason. I don't even know where those came from. And, like, they decide to boldly go where no man's gone before and go just blow some demons away. And I'm thinking, high school Michael that was writing... This feels like an idea he would have done. He would have thought magicians by day, demon hunters by night would be the coolest thing on the planet. And it really wasn't. I wanted it to be the coolest fucking thing on the planet. It didn't quite work for me. One of those guys kind of looked like he's the runner-up in a Kevin Bacon lookalike contest. Because I kept thinking it was Kevin Bacon. Um... Honestly, I can't say anything bad about the transfer. I I never can. I'm just gonna say that now. It's I'm gonna con. It's gonna sound like I'm constantly sucking Vinegar Syndrome's dick. But no, their transfers always look great. And considering this film has never been released on DVD, all they ever had was a bad VHS copy. Like I feel like this is the type of movie that had it got a little more attention, there definitely would have been. There definitely would have been people who would have been huge fans of it. I really do think that. Uh, it didn't work for me. I feel like if I would have saw it as a kid, I would have loved it. But uh, Demon Wind, um, I want to watch it with a group of people. Because I think I'm going to truly appreciate it more. Just for how absurd it is with a group of friends. Because the the, the monster effects were great. Said so the, the opening sequence before we introduce our, get introduced to our main characters is really creepy and kind of cool. Um, there's going to be a theme to today's episode to today's episode uh, or reviews of our of vinegar syndrome is movies that could do, use a remake demon wind could possibly use a remake and it could be very cool if the right director took it on so didn't love demon wind far from hated it um this film is going to have its fans out there don't necessarily listen to me on this one because i think there's going to be people out there who are going to love this next up the Corpse Grinders. The Lotus Cat Food Company has hit major financial trouble and is on the verge of closing until the owners realize that rather than paying for meat, they can use bodies from the local graveyard to fill their tins. As their latest product hits the shelves, it's revealed to have an unintentional result. Every cat that eats it is transformed into a bloodthirsty brute with an unending hunger for human flesh. Ted V. Michaels, legendary cult favorite, The Corpse Grinders, is a horror classic, shock, shock, chock full of jaw-dropping twists, mind-boggling surprises, and a self-aware sense of humor that became one of Ted's trademarks. Co-written by Arch Hall Sr., who wrote, Ega, 
Eager. And Joseph Cranston, who wrote The Crawling Hand, and colorfully photographed by Mikkels himself, this drive-in mainstay is proudly presented for the first time on Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome, freshly restored in 2K from recently discovered negative elements. Um, originally, when I reviewed this film, I gave it two and a half stars, which for my rating system means it's it's okay. It's not bad. It's not good. It's not. I wouldn't go as far as saying it's a good film, but it wasn't bad. I ended up raising that to three stars because it just there's a stupid enjoyment to it, and if you like those '60s and and early '70s drive-in films very much, like the um, like Bucket of Blood and uh, those films, I think you'll really enjoy this. Um, this film itself has got like a Herschel Gordon Lewis vibe to it. <clears throat> um, in style and tone, where it's 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 not intentionally trying to be a comedy, but there's definitely a lot of comedic moments, and that's what makes this movie fun, I believe. Um, uh, the color photography is really interesting because for the most part, I want to say it's shot all very naturally or naturally for the time, um, or for these types of movies. But whenever the 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 corpse grinder itself, this machine is is introduced it gets very neon and, and the colors are really crazy and uh uh yeah I, I i'm very i'm actually surprised of myself that i enjoyed this more than demon wind because normally demon wind is like totally up my alley and while i love these er, these 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 uh, old school drive-in exploitation films some of them can be more of a grind than others no pun intended um but i don't know there's a weird charm to corpse grinder the uh the lead character played by Sean Kenny, I think that's the character I'm thinking of anyways. Um, the doctor. Let's just go with the doctor. The doctor if anyone's a pro wrestling fan, he kinda looks like Joe, uh, like the the King of Sleaze, Joey Ryan. Which is kinda cool. He's like a traditionally handsome dude with a really bomb fucking porn stash, which is awesome. Um I don't. I haven't seen a whole lot of Ted Ted V. Michaels stuff. I uh, uh, I will be the first to admit I I know of him, uh, and I I know of his reputation, but I'd not seen a lot. So it's kind of exciting to be able to check this out. But honestly, what makes this worth the price of admission are two things. First of all, there is a uh, a feature called TED Talks, which is an archival interview of Ted V. Michaels from 2007, directed by Elijah Drenner. Uh, and it's actually in Michael's Las Vegas film studio's pad, and he talks about what these like his his theory on making films and how he goes about it, and that's really fascinating. But really, what makes this worth the price of admission is the audio commentary by uh, Elijah Drenner. With, that has uh, rare archival audio recordings from the private files of Ted V. Michaels. It's also got drive-in theater announcements for um, Michaels' uh, triple bill, The Final Dimension of Shock, which was The Corpse Grinders, The Undertaker and His Pals, and I think it was one more that I don't remember the title of at the moment. But the reason this is interesting is because there's not a lot of information out there about the making of this film. So... It's kind of cool to Elijah Drenner. He is, he does a lot of these special features for a lot for a lot of horror films and exploitation things. He knows his stuff. He also made the film American Grindhouse and the documentary That Guy Dick Miller. He is a film culturist through and through, and uh, I'd even go as far as say a film theorist. And he talks about 
not only Ted V. Michaels as a whole and what he stood for, but then the Corpse Grinders. And the thing I appreciate about it, he's not just philosophically waxing the entire time about how Corpse Grinders is a masterpiece. He even openly says that he doesn't really like the Corpse Grinders that much, but he's learned to respect it. And that's the thing about uh, Ted V. Michaels is the biggest thing is you have to just realize that his films aren't as good as we want them to be. But once you look deeper within, you can find the charm or you can find what's important about them. So Elijah's uh, commentary definitely puts this film into perspective and makes it all worthwhile, in my opinion. So uh, Corpse Grinders, I enjoyed a lot more, but it's because of... A little bit of everything because of what it stood for. Uh, having Elijah Elijah Drenner, his his opinions on the film. And, uh, yeah, getting to know Ted B. Michaels a little bit more. And uh, this film also hits a sweet spot for uh, regional filmmaking. Where it's made by a filmmaker from a certain area. And they highlight that area in, in a way that it doesn't, it doesn't feel like anywhere else in the world. Which is, plays very nicely into my next choice. Last but certainly not least is the uh, the release I was most excited for, Bloodbeat. Sarah and her boyfriend Ted have, Sarah and her boyfriend Ted have decided to spend Christmas with Ted's mother at her home in rural Wisconsin. However, upon arriving, Sarah begins to feel a strange presence around her, and soon after, a mysterious figure garbed in a samurai outfit begins murdering the townsfolk, eventually setting his sights on Sarah, Ted, and his family supernatural slasher film like no other fabrice zafiratos i think i'm saying that right french u.s co-production bloodbeat applies an art house aesthetic to its american regional cinema silence resulting in a dreamy and haunting atmosphere to complement the bloodletting and outrageous twists barely barely released on video in the u.s and never officially released on disc vinegar syndrome presents the blu-ray debut of one of debut of this one-of-a-kind horror oddity Restored in 4K from its original 35mm negative. I uh, This film has been on my radar for a very long time. Um, it kind of hits all my sweet spots. It's a slasher film. It's got some art house aesthetics to it. Uh, it's a Christmas film, kind of. Uh, it, it's, it takes place on Christmas, but since it, it, anyone who spent Christmas in Wisconsin knows, it's, it's rare to have a Christmas with no snow, and there was no snow in this film. Uh, it definitely looked like the fall, but, you know... What are you going to do? Um, and it takes place in Wisconsin. What's, what's not to love about this? And it was a hard film to track down. I think at one point it might have been floating around on YouTube in a version that was hard to watch, to say the least. I think I might have popped it on for a little bit. And um, I was like, okay, I'll come back to this. Um, never thinking I was actually going to get a release. I remember I got so excited for this that my contact at Vinegar Syndrome, I emailed him right away, told him how excited I was, and that if he needed any help with the special features, to let me know, because I could go and find the house it was shot at. It was apparently shot in a little town called, named Arena, uh, Arena, Wisconsin, which is maybe like a half hour to 45 minutes from where I'm currently at. Uh, I just got really excited about it, and they, they, they knew I was so excited that they sent me a, the copy with the slipcase, because I was... Literally the day I got this in the mail, I was gonna go online and or and pre-order it because it's like I had to own this. It's a samurai slasher film in Wisconsin for some reason. Um, this film is kind of an interesting story. Fabrice, I'm not gonna even pronounce his last name, so I'm gonna call him Fabrice as if I know him. Um, apparently, was just spoke no English, was just traveling around the United States, 
but wound up in Wisconsin, met some girl, and I was like, hey, we should make a movie, and they did. And they got the cinematographer, uh, Vladimir Van Mule. Uh, I think he is... Um, German? I could be wrong. Um, no, from Prague. He's from I believe he's from Prague. Um, and um, <clears throat> he's working in Chicago. Got him on board, and they just made this really artistic horror film. Like, it's weird, but like intentionally so. You can definitely tell Fabrice knows how to make put a movie together, and everything is intentional. There's a very loose story. Not much is explained, but with his. That was kind of the trend with a lot of European filmmakers. They didn't dumb things down. They didn't explain things to us. And that didn't fit the mold with the slasher film. Which I think is one of the reasons I appreciate this so much. It so much. And, you know, um, yeah. I don't know. I really loved this film. It's um, There's some cool stuff on it. There's an interview and a commentary track with Fabrice. Uh, prepare for a lot of reading because both are subtitled. The commentary track is subtitled. That's a first I've ever seen like that. And there's an interview with uh, Vladimir, the uh, cinematographer. He gives a lot of interest and insight about the making of the film. And it just felt very communal and family-like. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm obsessive when it comes to regional filmmaking. You know, films made in certain states that are meant to feel and look like that state not like i shot it in wisconsin but i want it to be florida or you know whatever like or oh we shot it in canada but it's really supposed to be new york and like here's a filmmaker who made a film in wisconsin because he wanted it to be wisconsin and i appreciate that um this is actually the second time i'm recording this bit I didn't hit record the first time, and there were some issues, so I lost it. And I feel like I went into a little more in-depth the last time, but I loved this release. This is going to be one that I definitely want to show to people. Um, I would love to have this shown at the Oriental Theater or the Times or the Avalon. If anyone uh, that's listening right now has connections to the Avalon Theater, the Times, the Downer, uh, Oriental, anything anything in Milwaukee, let me know. I'll bring my Blu-ray. I'll even see if I can get possibly something from Vinegar Syndrome. And I would love to show this. Because, you know, there's been some really cool horror films made in Wisconsin. Uh, most notably uh, Blood Junkie and um, um, Billy Club from two of my friends, Drew and Nick. <clears throat> but um, it's kind of cool that there was one that was made in Wisconsin, under the radar, no one knew about, that turned out this that this interesting. I'm like, is it good? It's debatable, but is it interesting? A hundred percent. And filmmaking, craft-wise, is the best film out of the three I've been given. And it looks great. Um, I think it was shot on Super 35 because it's still in the 4-3 aspect ratio, which, you know, is, doesn't really matter. But, uh, no, I, if I had to give my recommendation to any film that we that I've been given, I whole, I recommend everyone go out and pick up a copy, copy of Blood Beat. Um... If you do, let them know I sent you. Let them know that you're listening to the Shameless Picture Show. Maybe if we get enough people supporting Vinegar Syndrome and supporting the show, I can eventually get us a, uh, like an offer code. Like, insert the code SHAMELESS at checkout and receive blank percent off or free shipping or something. But, um, you know, uh, Vinegar Syndrome has been a really cool company. They've been putting stuff out that's never that someone has never even seen the light of day that only has reputation and uh, they've been a very big supporter of the show early on when no one else really was. So send them some love. Send them some money. Let them know you're listening to the Shameless Picture Show. Thanks a lot, guys. This is now the real ending. 
cue the music. Thank you.